2: You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book.
3: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. Well, here we are on a Friday. So we've got the short interviews, the five questions in five minutes with two authors. If you want to hear more, these authors have already uh, had fuller interviews. And those can be found a couple of months ago, I'd say now, if you if you have a look back. But they are there waiting for you if you if you would like them. But let's get stuck in today. We've got some great books. We've got The Land of Lost Things by John Connolly and Myrtle, more killer puzzles by G.T. Carver. Let's get stuck in straight away. So John Connolly's latest book. Let me read you the blurb of this Butte. Phoebe, an eight-year-old girl, lies comatose following a car accident. She's a body without a spirit, a stolen child. Her mother can only sit by her bedside and read aloud to her the fairy stories she loves in the hope they might summon her back to this world. But it is hard to keep faith, so very hard. Now an old house on the hospital grounds, a property connected to a book written by a vanished author, is calling her. Something wants her to enter and to journey to a land coloured by the memories of her childhood and the folklore beloved of her father, to a land of witches and dryads, giants and mandrakes, to a land where old enemies are watching and waiting. Well, let's go and talk to John now about this absolutely astounding book. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast John Connolly to talk to us about the land of lost things John, you have five questions in five minutes Are you ready for this? Okay, I think so <laughs> Your first question, can you summarise this wonderful book for us? It's about a young mother who loses,
1: uh, who, whose daughter is injured in a car accident And the mother makes this pilgrimage to her daughter's bed daily And then a little bit less than daily as she tries to come to terms with what might have happened, and she part of that process is is fairy tales and folk tales and folklore, and eventually, when something inside her breaks, she retreats fully into a world that has a kind of reality to it. I think psychological and physical, composed of these fair, these old stories and particularly the folklore that her father loved. Her folklore was an amateur English folklorist, and so a lot of that permeates her imagination and influences the world that she enters.
3: Thank you. It's such an emotional, wonderful read. But who do you think should read this? Who would you say this book would appeal to? Should read. That makes it sound like <laughs> I'm putting a gun to the head, and
1: we'll read this book, or else it will get, you, or else the dog gets it. Uh, it's the first book, the Book of Lost Things. It follows on from a book I wrote about 17 years ago, from the book of, called The Book of Lost Things. And I always thought of that as a book for adults because once you reach the end of the story, it becomes clear that it's be it's. It's an old man at the end of his life remembering his childhood, and it's filled with regret. And regret, I think, is quite an adult emotion. I don't think it's not really one that we associate with childhood particularly. And then gradually it became clear that although older people would read it with that awareness, there were teenagers reading it who had lost a parent or who were watching their a marriage disintegrate, or were having trouble with a new sibling maybe. And for them, they were reading it in a completely different way. For them, it was completely visceral and immediate. There was no sense of time having passed. They were immersed in this. And I think when I came to the land of lost things, I was more conscious that it was a text that could appeal to two constituencies, at the same time, and the, the important thing was not to talk down to one or up to the other, uh, was to find a tone that, that accommodated everybody that, that, that didn't exclude. And so then I, but then I don't know. You, just, you don't know who's going to pick up and read a book, and I, I will have readers who are, for me, for someone like me who drift moves between genres and styles, I suppose, your readership becomes like the concentric circles of a target. In the middle is a little red dot of people who, in the first week, will go out and buy what you do, because they, they understand that it's all part of it, and they can see the connections between books. And they've signed on for the long ride, essentially. And outside them, you've got a slightly yellow target a bit larger one, which is people who will buy the Parker books, my detective series the week they come out, might wait until the, the other one is discounted, or they see it in paperback. And outside that is that the ones who, if they're going to the airport in the holidays and I have a book out and it's a thriller and it looks like it might keep them occupied, they'll, they'll buy it. And outside of that is the vast mass of humanity who don't give a rat's ass about me one way or the other. And for a book like the book, uh, The Land of Lost Things, I, I know that there will be some people who, who like my work, but who won't read that book, simply because that's, that's not... The John Connolly book they want to read, they and they're, they they're like, God bless you, go and write your great Russian novel, but I'll wait until you come back with the with the thriller. So we're at the mercy of the reading gods when we put a book out. I think
3: if you could. Stand over as godlike while we're reading this book. What emotions would you want us to feel as we're reading this oh, book? For me, well, some, I remember asking,
1: somebody asked a question recently, which I thought was quite interesting. Not that that isn't an interesting question. <laughs> and they said, if there was, is there one word that you kind of associate with you that would always be found in your books, that would always be associated with your books? And I said it was hope. I couldn't write a book that didn't have hope in it. And it's why I've always rejected, I don't write noir fiction. And I don't know many writers who do, because actually true noir fiction is really difficult to read because at the end of it, either everybody's in jail or dead, or noir fiction is completely without hope. That's part of the point of it. And I think this is a book that moves towards a note of hopefulness. That is part of the progression of it, acceptance and hopefulness.
3: Thank you. Your fourth question is, can you tell us your favourite major but also your favourite minor character in The Land of Lost Things?
1: I think oddly enough, it's probably, there is a character called Calio in the book and, and they seem at the beginning to be this quite dangerous, malevolent, selfish figure and they're filled with rage. And gradually, you come to an understanding of why they are the way they are. And in a way, they're almost the most human character in it. Everything you can do, you can understand why they have become the way that they are. And they what, what we get, They seem to begin quite peripherally, and then they move increasingly towards the center of the narrative. And I just felt, yeah, that's that was the one I understood best, I think was that character calia um and then i i i, I couldn't could, I, I i i like a little bit of, i like humor and lightness in books i, I think it's very hard to read because of the way i'm describing that a lot of things makes it sound like it's very hard going and it really shouldn't be i don't want the book to be like that and so there are moments where i want the reader to laugh aloud and i know jenny my wife will particularly like there's a Series when she goes into finds herself accidentally in a self help group for witches who are trying not to be wicked anymore, which just deteriorates into this just appalling situation. And so, I love those characters, I love those characters of these these women who are coming along. Oh, thank god, you're to these multi beatings where we have to come say, so Yeah, it's, so it's been three years since my last wickedness, and unless you get involved in the discussion, you don't get a bun at the end of the evening. And I thought, but also, they had a what was important was that everything in the imaginary world should have a kind of equivalent in the real world. So there are references to art monographs that are on our father's shelves, which which actually influence the presentation of the world. Although no, you wouldn't know unless you looked up the name of the the artist. And even in the, at the start of the book, a series goes to a, a support group for parents who are dealing with illness, and then she hates it. She hates this sharing and these people sitting around. It's awful. She doesn't go back and it's really embarrassing. So even that has a little, it's a reflection of something that happened in the real world.
3: Fantastic. Well, we come to the final question. And when we last talked, the question was about biscuits and your choice was a fig roll. Mm. So the question today is, what drink was powering the land of lost things? I'm a.
1: I, I, I have a weakness for wine, not particularly fine. I mean, I'm a step up above of box wine, let's be clear, or things that come in cans. But I do like my, I do like glass of wine. Although I, I, in my, my youth, I would occasionally have taken a, when I lived alone, I would have taken a glass of wine up in the evening sometimes to work and then thought, I'm a genius. As it flowed, as the narrative fly every word a pearl. And then very quickly realized that it's not a very good way to write. So you try to avoid it. So the, yeah, it becomes a reward. Rather than something that you take of more or less it's just endless cups of coffee.
3: Nothing wrong with that. Coffee and wine, perfect combination. All, coffee is our friend. <laughs> well, it's just great to talk to you again and to hear more about the land of lost things. John Connolly, thank you so much. Thank you, Philippa. Wonderful. And now let's go on to Myrtle, more killer puzzles. So this is book two. You've already got Myrtle out as the first book, and this is the second one. You don't have to have uh, read the, or, or done the first book. Done the book that s- sounds quite strange, but it's a puzzle logic book, so y- you'll understand a bit more. Anyway, waffling, waffling. Here we go. Let's read the blurb. Deductive Logico is back on the scene to investigate murders most foul in Myrdle more killer puzzles. Follow the clues and join Logico to uncover the buried secrets of the Violet Isles. Solve the riddles of an ancient scholar and catch the culprit using the power of deduction. Together you'll unearth the dark truth beneath each murder and crack the code that can only be decrypted once you solved them all. Packed with perplexing puzzles, codes and maps, this is the ultimate casebook for the armchair detective in everyone. And I just think with these sort of winter, autumn, winter... Evenings, this is exactly what we need: cup of tea, sit down with this, and a biscuit, of course, and have a go at these brilliant puzzles. Anyway, enough about me. Let's ask GT Carber their five questions. It is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast GT Carber to talk to us again about Myrdal, more killer puzzles. Welcome back.
4: It's great to be back.
3: Let's start with the basics. Can you just summarise this book for us again?
4: Yeah, Myrtle, More Killer Puzzles is the follow-up to Myrtle. It's a collection of a hundred murder mystery logic puzzles that anyone can learn to solve. They're family friendly except for the murders and there's a storyline that runs through all of the puzzles that I hope everybody enjoys. Next question is, why should we buy
3: this book? Who would it appeal to?
4: I have found that the audience that likes the book the most are people who like sort of classic fair play murder mysteries who like cozies there's a big overlap there people who love puzzles seem to really like it there are other groups and people who have appreciated the book a lot but there's a little bit of spoilers involved in in saying that so yeah you know so so there are things in the book that people have responded to very positively um and i, I think everybody can like it i've had I had a i think a ten year old send in their photographs of Lego Myrtle that they had made, and I've had people talk about their grandparents loving to play them in nursing homes so hopefully it runs a wide gamut from of age ranges and and types of people. but I would say that if you like mysteries and you enjoy that experience of trying to solve a mystery, then that is target group of people
3: perfect the next question this is an interesting one for you what do you want us to feel as we are working our way through Myrtle
4: yeah that's a that's a really interesting question because I've thought a lot about how to incorporate emotion in the process of solving a puzzle because we typically think of puzzles as being very analytical and very divorced from Emotional experiences. I I generally want people to be Delighted by them, but also I I really like to put in as much Easter eggs are the wrong word Hmm. because they imply sort of a that it's like an extra thing that is not uh, Integral to it, but I have tried to put so many little bits and pieces scattered throughout the book so that even if you've done all the puzzles you could still flip through the book and find little connections and mm-hmm. cross references. And so I, I want it to feel very much like a mystery that people can solve and ponder and study. And I also have a real love of shows that are, are what I call hangout shows where the characters become your friends over the course of five hundred episodes. They're not their lives aren't necessarily in danger. But over time, you sort of feel like you're in their world with them. You're in their office or in their community. And I truly hope that that is the experience that people feel the most with Myrtle, that they feel welcomed and that they feel comfortable with these characters and this world and that they want to sort of live in the world a little bit.
3: Great. The next question is, what's your favorite part you enjoy the most?
4: (sighs) Making them? It's interesting. I really like... The early sketching out of the outline of it and of figuring out what new locations we'll visit and coming up with the, the way to sort of break a location into sublocations for the puzzles. One thing that I always have fun doing is figuring out what icons go with what with one hmm. thing, because sometimes you have to bend the you have to bend the interpretation of an icon a little, or sometimes there are just no icons for the thing, and I have to change what I want the weapon or location to be. And there's a really fun game in reusing those and in figuring out ways to kind of make visual puns on them. For example, in the first book, there is a like a. a stone figurine of an an ancient god that I think is used as a weapon that's found in a temple somewhere. And I used the same icon for that that I used for the Academy Award later on in a Hollywood section. And I really like making these little sort of puns or connections. And that's something that I don't think that many people who are puzzling through the book are necessarily consciously perceiving, But I think it adds to this sense of the world being richer than it first appears.
3: Absolutely. We come to the final question, which is normally about what drink you've had. But when we talked last time, you hadn't been consuming biscuits. You'd just been consuming coffee. So my question for you this time is, what do you want us to drink or eat as we're doing myrtles?
4: Yeah, the answer you've sort of already given it is is for sure coffee. It was made with coffee. When we were promoting the first book, the American publisher sent color changing mugs to people. And so, yeah, they're very they're very nifty. Wow. I think we've given them all away now, so unfortunately, they are now collectors <laughs> items. But when you're young. I don't know when is the safe age that I could recommend yes. I'm trying to be family friendly. And I don't want <laughs> yes. a letter from an, a parent of an eight year old being like, my kid loves Myrtle. And now they demand they drink coffee. Yes.
3: It's just great to talk to you again about Myrtle and Myrtle more killer puzzles. GT Carbo, thank you so much.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: And there we have it. Which books have we covered again? Little recap. The Land of Lost Things by John Connolly and Myrtle More Killer Puzzles by G.T. Carver. Those are your books. I'm sending you on your way. Just look after yourselves and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening
2: to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books. Said no one, ever. See you again soon.